The Doomer Bloomer Podcast is a community for the resurrection of good ideas. We profile the hero's journey in weekly episodes and teach people about the 10 pillars framework for success in life, business, and relationships. Our mission is to find and help all Doomer Bloomers with mental health issues, poverty mindset, lack of resources, and those left behind in this world. Tune in weekly with Will S. and occasionally John Wynn as we have deep conversations with guests about the hero's journey, clown world order, and the resurrection of good ideas. To help support our community, go to www.thedoomerbloomerpodcast.com support to become a member today. And remember, we are the cure for COVID-19. Hi, this is Mike Messier. I'm the guest host of the Doomer Bloomer podcast. Uh, producer William Summer, a great friend of mine, has trusted me to interview our guest, Tom Caresti. Tom, did I say your name right? Did I nail it, buddy? You nailed it. You got it right. Perfect. You can be. Uh, you, you can now be a native Hungarian. Tom, uh, is, it a, is it a Hungarian name? Is that your uh, ethnicity? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm originally Hungarian. I was born in Budapest, and uh, yeah, that's uh, you know I came to the U.S. when I was about twelve. I watched a so... really inter- go ahead. No, go ahead. I watched a really interview, a really cool interview on your website, which is leadershipdisciples.com. That's uh, the first word is leadership. L E A D E R S H I P disciples d-i-s-c-i-p-l-e-s dot com and uh it's a really nice laid out website and then i believe it's um i think i just in the news on the subheading up at the top uh i believe there was an interview you did in uh, san diego which is where you're currently living is is that all correct yeah absolutely in fact uh thanks for reminding me because there's probably about two dozen podcasts that I need to uh, upload on that uh, website because right now if you go to my LinkedIn uh, profile on um, you know under my last name Karesti K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I you'll find uh, lots of you know Zoom videos or just uh, audio podcasts that I've done over the last three or four months and I've just been uh, I need to get a little fire under my butt and get all, all those all to my website because that's <laughs> that's uh, that way every, everything's in one place. Yes, but, part um, of it. Yeah. This was at San Diego Christian College. It's a nice uh, interview that you're doing at, at the college, and uh, I think one of the more interesting things you say, and we'll we'll go into the deep dive with your biography, but just just to give a quick life lesson as we get started. Um, I believe you said something to the effect of people get hired for what they know and they get fired for who they are. And I thought that was pretty uh, riveting. Can you uh, speak more on that? Uh, if that? Did I get that correct? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's 100% correct. Uh, you know, and especially for, 
you know, uh, the graduating class, especially when you come out of college, you know, everybody tends to focus. Um, and, and really the whole thing is set up that way. Uh, your resume is set up that way. It's about, you know, your accomplishments, what you did, you know, what kind of grades, point average you had in school, uh, you know, what you achieved. Uh, then even if you go in later in life, you start, again, listing job accomplishments. You know, I was in such and such a job and, you know, I increased sales by 5% or I saved, you know, 2% of profit or whatever. But they're always key performance indicators and they, they tend to be very much about things you do. Uh, versus who you are. And and then you get into an environment and what happens is uh, all of a sudden you can't get along with folks. Uh, all of a sudden you, you alienate people, you, you take people off, you became a, you know, you become dictatorial. Um, and, and those are the, the measures, which are the, the human qualities. And those are the things that get you fired. You know, you don't get fired because you missed the KPI. You get fired because you're an idiot and you, and, you know, you're, you're treating, mistreating people or, mistreating customers or uh, can really lead people to um, to take over and, and kind of be on the same team and, and get uh, objectives accomplished because you can't get a team to work together. Uh, so all the, those are all human qualities and those are the things that get you fired. Um, I remember back in, um, this was, I'm dating myself, but uh, back in the mid eighties, uh, I worked for a company called Colgate Palmolive Company. And um, at that time, they had a, a, a form that everybody had to use for um, HR evaluation. So HR had this form, it was about a five-page or six-page form. It was like a fold-out. Um, and whenever people got evaluated, the, the bosses had to use that. And everybody, you know, both you and the guy that evaluated you had to sign off on that. And um, I think the first page was like, okay, you know, who you are, your age, sex, you know, all that stuff, what your job title position is. And then there was one page devoted to your job skill sets, right? So basically, are you a good accountant? And some examples of why you're a good accountant, or if you're a good sales guy, and some examples of why you're a good sales guy. And then the remaining four pages were, um, you know, does does he take self-initiative? Uh, how does he get along with people? Right. Um, you know, those are all people skill sets. So it, it kind of amused me to say, look, only one page is your technical skill sets and four pages is about who you are as an individual, right? You know, what gets you up in the morning? What motivates right. you? How do you get along with people? And those are the, the human skill sets. So that's what I think I was referring to then in that interview. Uh, are those skill sets, how to get along with people, how someone gets along with people, how they treat people? Uh, how they communicate are those sometimes referred to as soft skills do i have that right tom uh, i don't know i don't think they're soft skills i think they're critical skills um you know if, if you take no i'm just i'm just saying if, that the... go ahead yeah you could say soft skills uh you know some people you know now now there's a term i think they call it um uh Emotional intelligence is another word that, you know, right. people use for it. So, um, and, and they're all basically people skills. Um, and you may call them soft skills, but I think they're critical. Well, I think they're critical too. My point is that the term soft skills, I think has been used in the last several years. And, and um, you know, if you think soft in terms of weak, that's not accurate. It's more like hard to measure skills, skills that can't be measured until someone actually works there. 
You know what I mean? Until someone is actually in the business environment or the company environment, it's, it's hard to put those skills on a piece of paper or in a 20 minute interview with human resources. But once someone's on the job and you see week after week, month after month, how are they getting along at the water cooler and in the conference room and stuff like that? That's when those things become evident, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's a really easy way to measure it. Um, you know, look, if, if you're successful in your job, then you probably have good soft skills, right? Um, right. So um, if your performance is lacking, then, you know, look, there's one is too small of a number to achieve greatness. So, you know, I don't care if you're a team leader, if you're a CEO of a company or you're just on a team as a team member, right? Um, still, you're going to achieve things uh, because of your interaction with other people. Uh, it's not because of something you did yourself, right? It's it's uh, your interactions with other people. So it's in a way, it's easier to measure because if your team is performing, that means you probably have good soft skills. If you're um, if you're performing well in your job uh, and you're on a team, that also means you probably have good you know soft skills. So if the team is lacking, then you know probably the soft skills are lacking as well. Um, you know, I I remember when I was. Um, um, working for uh, this company out of uh, the UK, Rekibank Kieser. And um, I was a general manager for, um, and, and Rekibank Kieser was a very, very um, leading marketing company. So they, they had tended, and most uh, fast consumers, you know, consumer goods companies tend to uh, elevate marketing geniuses, right? So that was the same thing. They had a lot of leaders in that company, general managers who had a very strong marketing skill set. And I didn't have a strong marketing skill set. I had a very good gener uh, uh, generalist skill set. And I remember the CEO, Bart Beck, said, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, Tom's not a great marketer, but he just gets everything done. <laughs> right. And I, he said, I can't really put my finger on it. I don't yeah. know what it is, but, but things get done. And, you know, literally because of those soft skills, you know, as a general manager of that company, you know, I, I switched it from losing, you know, about $4 million into uh, in, in less than three years and about two and a half years, they were already making the two and a half million. So that was a 6 million swing. Um, and, and it wasn't because I was a marketing genius. It was just, uh, you know, I was a good leader and I was able to get the best out of the team that was uh, in that company. So I don't know for what I it's worth. Have an I think it's worth a lot. I used to have an expression, Tom, that it's, it's not what you do for people. It's how you make people feel about themselves. That tends to matter. You know, if you can make people feel like they're valued or they're important or they're intelligent. Um, I work with actors a lot. If you make them feel like they're a great actor, they'll give you a great performance. If you if you browbeat them or come down on them, they're going to respond uh, accordingly. And um, a lot of a lot of life is, is how you treat yourself and how you treat others. Uh, you have a great. Uh, book that I, I want to mention and and you know I didn't uh, my apologies I didn't get into your bio because I wanted to get to one of those life lessons right away but let's start with the book see uh, sweet and beyond you have a roadmap to success uh, have you ever wondered what separates you from the most successful business leaders in the world have you ever found yourself wanting to know their secrets so that you can experience even greater levels of success in your own life well here it is Tom Gretzky, in his new book, C-Suite and Beyond, will break down what traits and experiences those at the highest level of an organization are looking for in individuals 
who wish to make the climb upward. He will share the four keys of his crucial leadership lessons from his years on the front lines of international operations. In addition, the book is filled with stories of leaders who, who have successfully led teams, inspirational quotes, biblical lessons, and companies who have gotten it right. If you are a C-level executive or just aspiring to be one, this book will empower you to become a better leader. Uh, so I think that's great. And the book's available on Amazon. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, you'll find it. You know, you just Google it and you'll find it in a couple of all right. You know, some people don't like Amazon, so there's other choices out there as well. But for sure, for sure you can buy it on Amazon. Um, just let me spend just. 30 seconds, uh, you know, something you said right before you started this, uh, you know, uh, introduction, you know, something about said how you make people feel um, is extremely important. And, uh, you know, it, it's it just reminding me of the story that I just shared with you where, you know, we I took this company and I, I, I flipped it about four million from negative four million to positive two and a half million. And after two and a half years in, in, the, in the expat world, uh, which is the international executives, you know, they bring you in to make a change. And, and you usually have about two to three years to make that change. So if, if you're not successful, you get fired in less than three years. If you are successful, then they want you to move on to bigger and better and do it again in a different part of the world with a bigger organization. And um, I was leaving and, the, and my replacement was coming in. And so so we had a you know a farewell party for me and an introductory part to the next guy. And um in my farewell speech, my CFO got up and, and thanked me. And what she said, which, um, you know, I'll never forget, it moved my heart. She goes, she goes, Tom, you believed in us. But more importantly, you made us believe in ourselves. Right. And, and that, was, that was so, you know, key and, and so heartwarming for me that I was able to accomplish that. And that was... That was a nicer compliment than anybody else could, you know, say to me. That was just, just wonderful. Well, it makes you think of the great sports coaches, you know, like the the Vince Lombardi's and the Joe Gibbs and and uh, all these uh, mentors, uh, Bill Jackson, you know, who always had these superstar athletes, but he had to balance balance their egos. And um, yeah, you know, but but even with people that don't have egos like that, you know, a lot of times. What's the missing ingredient from someone being successful is confidence, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Your book, um, for those that aren't familiar with the term C-suite, can you can you expand upon that? I mean, that, that's a term that I know a lot of folks might, maybe younger people uh, who haven't entered the business world yet, if they're still in high school or college. What is C-suite before we uh, dig deeper into your book? So it's it's uh, it's kind of simple because uh, if you look at the top of the food chain in any organization, you have a CEO, you have a CFO, you have a CIO, you have you know CMO. So these are all the guys on top of the organization that are leaders, and and they all start with a C: chief executive right. officer, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, chief technology officer. That's what the C stands for: C-suite. That's, that's where you know all the guys hang out, and they're all you know all their titles start with a C. Right. Guys and women at this point, because uh, in the last. I do apologize. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Well, for the, I mean, just, I mean, I remember when I was a kid that the woman's movement, and it still is now, but you're talking about um, if you, the timeline of, of when women were allowed to vote, um, 
and had to fight for the right to vote in all types of things. And now you you have women that are doing uh, big things. I mean, at one point, um, 1984, Geraldine Ferraro was running for vice president, but it, it was a tough thing because Reagan was so popular. But now Kamala Harris has achieved that uh, goal. And so there you go. So things happen uh, in lifetimes that we don't know, we don't expect to happen. Uh, you know, um, I want to go back to more about you and your background. Um, LeadershipDisciples.com. Um, let me ask you this as I look into your bio, Tom. How how did you choose that .com name? Because that's a, that's a very powerful uh, name for a website, for your own personal website and your professional website. How did how did you come up with LeadershipDisciples.com to go for your online presence? Well. You know, how did I use, okay, leadership is is a, is something that's been with me all my life. I mean, if I look at when I was a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old kid, um, reflecting on it, I, I always found myself in leadership positions, whether it was on a sports team or other situations. And then, you know, high school, again, leadership positions, college, leadership positions, student council, you know, captain of tennis team, and then, you know, got into business and always find myself in increasing responsibilities always. So, so leadership has always been there, but then why disciples? Well, I'm a Christian guy, right? And um, if, if you think about what did the disciples do? I mean, you know, basically disciples um, carried the word out and acted the word out and spread the word of, of Christianity. And, you know, if, if we didn't have 12 really loyal disciples and if we didn't have Jesus, then Christianity wouldn't exist today. Right, it made it a movement. So uh, disciples to me, you know, rings really true to say, look, you know, leadership is very important. Uh, but the fact is, uh, as a country, as companies, we're not that good at it. Right. Um, if you look at, right. the, you know, if you look at companies, there, a lot of them will have have bad leaders. Um, if you look at organizations, they have bad leaders. Look in government, you know, we have a lot of bad leaders in government. Um, you know, and I just, you know. I'm not talking party lines. I mean, you can take people from either party and you say, well, these are really not exemplify, you know, leaders. So uh, this leadership disciples to me says, look, leadership is extremely important and we have to get it right and we have to spread the word and we have to live. You know, I have to live, not we, but I have to live uh, by example and lead by example of what leadership is all about. So that's where, you know, leadership disciples came from, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I, I, here's a question for you. Um, veering off the path a little bit, I, I guess I fear for our country and maybe for our world that because of social media, um, the crosshairs that come with competing news organizations, you can have one story and one side's got a totally different slant than the other. And depending on which news show you're watching, you're going to be angry about something or love it, you know? And so I think there's so much enforced divisiveness that's coming we no longer have someone like walter cronkite that almost everybody trusts what what i fear is that people that might be great natural born leaders look at the landscape of the country and they see people almost uh you know not to use a, a biblical term in this way but kind of getting crucified you know for for being public figures whether it's uh you know matt damon saying something in an interview or uh, you know, former President Trump, President Biden, Obama, any of these people in power 
uh, even you know Scarlett Johansson is trying to make trying to get the money that she feels is due to her for for a movie deal, and people are saying, well, what do you want so much money for? You already got paid, you know, and and who knows how much work she put into this movie and. My question to those folks who criticize her is, it seems like um, she tried to reach out to Disney um, before this thing went further, and so on and so forth. So my point is that to be a public figure at all, you seem to be putting yourself on the chopping block for public execution. What can you say to inspire a potential young person, a 15-year-old high school boy or girl who's looking at life and thinking they have leadership skills and maybe want to get involved in politics or social affairs, uh, but they see this this continuous chopping block of public figures and uh, maybe they think twice. They don't want to go through life being pot- criticized and and, and uh, critique like that is there anything you can say to encourage folks well man that's a that's a loaded statement a loaded question um i i would have look two two words of encouragement to them and then i'll kind of elaborate a little bit on it but look number one be yourself uh don't try to be something that society wants you to be uh don't try to be something uh that somebody else wants you to be be yourself uh know who you are uh and stand firm uh, in, in, in what you believe in and what your passion is about. Um, the, the second is, um, understand absolute truth. Uh, I think that's the biggest, um, uh, beef I have with society today is we no longer have absolute truth. If, if you looked at a society a hundred years, 120 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, we had absolute truth. Uh, today we have relative truth. What, what is true to me is not true to you. Um, we, right. we different, you know, we, we basically differ on the facts. Um, so as a society, the only way I can see this getting cured is, is everybody gets back to the absolute truth to say, look, black is black, white is white. Um, yeah, there's a shade of gray in between. Not everything is gray. So just because it makes you feel good and you believe it's true, um, it's not absolute truth. It's just it's just a relative truth that you think is true, because that's what your belief system is, uh, which is very different from another person's from another person's, and and that's why it's a difficult discussion in today's society because nobody could agree on facts in, in an absolute truth society. You can agree on a facts, you may differ on opinions on how to solve that, right? And, and then you have a, a healthy discussion, a healthy debate to say, okay, how do we solve that issue? But if everybody looks at everything totally different and there's no basis and no foundation of factual truth that everybody could agree on, then how do you solve anything? It, it gets very complicated. I mean, I, I, I think of things such as, uh, you know, COVID vaccines and, and uh, should we wear masks? Should we get vaccinated or not? Um, I have friends that, that didn't want to get vaccinated, that, that they watch the news now and they're like, oh my gosh, all, all these hospital beds are filled up with people. And now they're getting their vaccine after, after months of not wanting to. Um, but there's so many things in the news that are so divisive and uh, it's, it's, it's just a challenge, I think, for people to agree. And sometimes, Tom, I'll be honest with you, some, some topics are so complicated 
I find myself wavering myself on, on things, you know, things that in the morning I might feel one way by the afternoon, if I've seen an article or a YouTube video about it, I'm like, gee, I think I changed my mind on this, you know, and, you know, I'll give you an example from my own point of view, and it's not to, to be political, but I'm, I'm watching the weightlifting of the Olympics last night, and they have um, female weightlifting, and uh, the, the, one of the competitors is a transgender woman, and I'm mixed feelings, because I got to think that although the science and the testosterone levels are telling us that it's, it's fair for her to compete, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can buy into that she doesn't have some type of inherent bone structure that's in her system from when she was a man uh, that's helping her with an advantage. And I'm thinking of the unknown Olympic athlete who didn't, uh, who was born a female, who didn't get that opportunity because uh, this individual is taking that spot. And uh, it's what's fair to one person may come at the expense of someone else in that scenario. And those are the type of situations that I, I wonder, how do we get to some finite truth if the truth for one and what's fair for one person is different than what's going to be fair for someone else at the exact same time? And how do we broach that? Huh? Well, look, again, absolute truth. Um, Stephen Covey said this uh, many, many years ago while he was still, still alive. Steve, Stephen Covey said, look, we look at the world not as it is, or I'm sorry, we see the world not as it is, but as we are, right? And and what happens in today's society is is people are no longer open-minded to truth, but they're looking for confirmation of their opinion. So they watch the news network that confirms what they think. Um, they listen to people and read, you know, articles about that that confirms their opinions and. And no longer people are open to differences of opinion and exchange of ideas. They're just looking to confirm that they're right in what they thought. Uh, and and that's, that's a really tough battle. And that's why I said you have to go back to absolute truth. Um, now, you know... I may get <laughs> I may get canceled after after these comments, but look, um, I believe also because of my biblical faith that that there's genetically a man and a woman. There's only two sexes in this in this world. One is a man and one is a woman. Um, and you know, people genuinely believe that you know men can give birth to babies. And I was like, it, it's it's physically impossible, right? Uh, you know, women were yeah. You know, women are women and men are men, and, and we should celebrate them for their differences. Are, are women and men equal? Absolutely. But we should celebrate that they are different. Uh, they were created different. Uh, now, whether you believe in evolution or whether you believe in creation, either way, through evolution or through creation, there, there's male and female species, right? Um, and that's an absolute truth. That, that's not a relative truth, but if you basically believe it's a relative truth um, and, and you get into, uh, you know, this this gender debate of, of who is a man and who is a woman. And, and, and if you perceive, if your opinion is that you're a woman or a man, depending on what your perception is on, on, on how you feel about it. Um, well, you know, I, I, I've never been in never been inside that body of a, a person who felt like a woman versus a man. You know, I, I never been in the body of Caitlyn Jenner, who, you know, was a celebrated Olympic male athlete and then, you know, became a woman. 
Um, but the fact is, you know, even after she became a woman, she, she wouldn't be able to deliver a child in this world, right? Because she was originally a male. So that's a that's a perception. That's a that's an opinion of of who I am as a, a human being. Uh, and and look, I respect that opinion. Um, but you can't change the definition and absolute truth of a man and a woman. Now, after this, probably got kicked I, off on a lot of podcasts, but no, hey, you know. Well, here, here's the thing. It's a complicated thing because I think people can be afraid to express an opinion that is deemed in today's society politically incorrect. I can just speak for myself that I think I've known five people that have gone under some type of uh, change. And, and uh, you know, I, I would say that Three of those people are seemingly happy with their choice. One person actually went back and forth, was born uh, a man, became a woman, and, and, and went back. And that story is very tragic. Um, I could get into that story, but it's, it's their kind of private story. But the, the person actually had the operation to go from male to female, and then years later, um, through a turn of events, felt inclined to go back. And I'm just thinking, my gosh, uh, what's going on with the body here? What damage? If I'm assuming there's some type of residual damage, this can't be good for your body to, to be, to be messing with this stuff that much. I'm not a, a surgeon or a doctor, but if you're literally having two gender operations back and forth, I'm thinking there's, there's something going on here. And, and I guess my feeling is that people have a right to do this surgery. It's their body. They have a right to do it. But I just wonder if if they realize, not, you know, not to say they, but the individual realizes life is tough no matter what sex you are. No matter what gender you are, life is hard. You know, um, we're a couple of uh, Caucasian men in America. and It's not easy for us. Life is tough for everybody. So I don't know if the gender operation, not to be condescending and think, oh, it's it's going to change all your problems, but the problems are going to be there no matter what you do. So I just hope that people think about that. But I guess the other thing for me is, like I was talking about this weightlifting example, I think about the female athletes, you know, it's women that are born women and they're competing. And it was very hard for women athletes to even get uh, – was a Title IX, I believe, right in the seventies that that gave or the eighties that gave women the right to have all the sports available: women's soccer, women's basketball, yeah, yeah. all the equality for women to have even these opportunities. And and now they turn around and they have to compete with a whole other um, aspect of society, which are they're competing against women that were born as men. And despite what these testosterone levels may read, in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking there's got to be some advantage. Uh, the bone structure or the the size of the shoulders or something. So, um, and uh, I do feel time. To, go ahead. Well, I, I'm you know I'm I'm not an expert, so not, I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but I'll, I'll put a different twist on it. Uh, sure. And here's the twist that I will put on it. You know, a lot of people, uh, and, and I'm sure that was the issue with this. Uh, a case study that you brought with a friend of yours that you know went back and forth on on being a male or, or female is is uh, a lot of people don't know who they are um, and what do I mean by that you know people become identifiable for example by their work um, or so so okay I'm I they ask you well Tom who are you are you know I'm an accountant 
right? Or I'm a sales guy. Or they say, okay, you identify yourself and, and who you are is, is I'm a man, I'm a father versus, you know, I'm a mother or a, or a woman. So now you're identifying and your self-identity becomes about your sex or your self-identity becomes about your skin color, right? I'm an Afro-American, I'm, a, I'm an Oriental person, I'm a, I'm a white, white person. So um, what I would encourage every person to do is, is understand who you are and identify yourself, identify yourself as, as um, something other than your skin color, something other than your sex, something other than what you do for a living. Um, so you don't go on this crusade to say, look, you know, uh, you know, I'm a gay man or I'm, I'm a gay woman or I'm, I'm a transgender individual. And that becomes your identity. And your whole life revolves around that definition. And you go on this crusade to say, look, that's, you know, I want to want you to march in my parade. I want you to raise my flag because that is my identity. I got news for you. That is not your identity. That is part of who you are. But if that's all you see yourself as your identity, then you have a lot of soul searching to do. And, and that would be my advice to all these folks is to say, okay, really find out who you are and, and right. why you were put on this earth. You know, um, you know, um, I think Thomas, uh, um, I, I forget who he was, but um, you know, they said the, the two greatest things on, on earth is, is when you were born and when you find out why, right? Um, and if you find out your why, whatever your why is, uh, or uh, you know why you're on this earth, um, what's your passion, what's your mission, uh, and what why you were put on this earth to to create. Um, and if if all that boils down to is your sex or your skin color or your job, um, you, you're shortchanging yourself. You, you were put on this earth for something much bigger than that. It might have been Thomas Paine or Thomas Jefferson, or those are the Thomas. Famous I don't know. What, I what, 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 one of those guys. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's actually it's, that Christ. quote is in my. It's in, it's in my book, so I, I you know I got to open a book and look, look for the quote, but um, it's uh, I think it may have been Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. Tom well, Sawyer. yeah, that was a, a character by Mark Twain, I believe, right? It was yeah. uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn were the famous characters by uh, Mark Twain, who at the time was one of the world's most respected writers and philosophers. Um, yeah. Tom, I, Maybe, I, it was once again, Maybe it was Mark Twain. It might, might have been Mark Twain. I want to I read uh, from your uh, bio here. It was a great website, by the way, leadershipdisciples.com on the About page. Uh, Tom is an industry influencer who adds value to individuals and helps companies reach their highest potential through life-changing leadership principles. And uh, down at uh, your leadership philosophy, Tom is a, and I want to ask you about this in a second. Tom is a certified John Maxwell trainer, coach, and speaker. He is a member of the John Maxwell Group, a leadership training organization built to grow and equip others to do remarkable things and lead fulfilling lives. His servant leadership principles are time-proven and based on biblical foundations. Man of God, leader of men. That vision statement has guided every life choice Tom has made since 1995. Tom is down to earth and able to strike a balance between business challenges and common sense solutions. His motivational, engaging style will leave you with practical and applicable solutions that you can put into practice. He will empower you and your company to succeed 
Tom is an international speaker and executive coach who has spoken before crowds as large as 2,000 people. Now, the picture on the, the About page, is that with you and John Maxwell? Is that the two of you shaking hands? Uh, yes, that's uh, that's one of the pictures of there. Absolutely, John is uh, is a great man. He's uh, he's one of those guys that uh, transformed uh, mm. many many people's lives, thousands of lives, if not hundreds of thousands of lives all over the world. Um, very gifted speaker, uh, very knowledgeable individual. So, and, and it's just been my pleasure to know him, and uh, he is one of my mentors, uh, directly and indirectly. So, I'm just. Uh, thankful for all the influence he has uh, put on my life. And um, what happened in, in 1995? Because the, the, the vision statement has guided uh, every life choice you've made since 1995. What, what, is, uh, what happened in that year, Tom? So uh, that's you know, part of my, my uh, personal journey. As I mentioned to you earlier, uh, throughout observation, when I looked at my life, and you know, now that I'm a little bit past 30 years old, <laughs> and, sure. and, and 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 then some, right? Um, right. You know, I, I looked back at my life. And I said, look, you know, when I was 12, when I was 14, you know, I I got into these situations, and I always, you know, when there was a gap in leadership. I always filled that gap. Um, and in whatever situation you're in, you know, sometimes there's a gap of leadership. Um, and if you're a natural born leader, you're going to fill that gap immediately. And that was always my natural tendency. Whenever there was an, there was an opportunity to take a leadership role, I always did. I uh, did that in, you know, when I was 12, did that when I was 18, when it was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. cetera. Uh, so leadership has always been there. Uh, and then um, through a series of events in 1995, um, I was baptized as an adult. Um, so, uh, although I was, you know, an active, you know, participant in a Catholic church through my early, you know, years, you know, I would go to Sunday mass and everything else, but then, um, what happens, we moved overseas, we became expats. So we were living in foreign countries. And, and then what happens is the Catholic church is so widespread that their local mass is always in the local language. So you go to church and you have no idea what's, you know, you, you don't understand anything. So, right. um, through a series of events, you know, then um, I was living in um, overseas and uh, this gentleman, Bob Spiden, had a, an American Baptist church um, overseas and uh, we attended that church and through a series of events, I came as an adult to accept Christ and become baptized. So from that point on, um, that vision statement changed to man of God and leader of men. Uh, so that vision statement, what allows me to do is anytime there's a big question uh, or a decision that I have to make, um, then I put it against that vision statement. And, you know, let's say it's a job opportunity. Let's say it's something in personal, you know, life or something else. But you say, OK, um, does that exemplify leadership? Uh, if I take this job opportunity, if I take this client on. Um, if I mentor this individual, is, is that a leadership opportunity? Uh, if so, then it passes test one, right? If not, then I don't do it. Right? If it's not a leadership opportunity, then I probably don't take it on. Um, and then the second test is, uh, does it honor the God? 
And if it doesn't honor God, then I probably don't take it on either. I mean, I, I can tell you um, that uh, from, pers from, from personal experience, I was uh, sought out uh, for many, many cigarette companies in Eastern Europe to, to run their companies. Uh, and I always said no. Uh, I just didn't feel uh, consciously um, that it was a, a godly thing to, to ruin people's health uh, by smoking cigarettes. So I just didn't take any of those jobs, no matter how well they paid, um, no matter, you know, how good of an opportunity was, I said, no. Uh, so, you know, it's, if you have a good, strong vision statement and, and the nice thing about a strong vision statement is it's easily understood. And anytime you see a vision statement for companies that says, oh, we're going to be good corporate citizens and add shareholder value and blah, 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 you know, nobody knows what the hell that means. So you can't really buy into it. So whatever right. vision statement you have for yourself, make it simple, make it easily understood. So you understand it. People that surround you understand this so they can buy into what you're trying to do. Uh, and that's whether for an individual or for a company, it's the same, you know? Um, yeah, just, uh, so, so that's my advice for everybody is just make sure you have a vision statement. And by the way, like I said, um, you know, when I was 20, I wish somebody says, Tom, have a vision statement for yourself. You know, I was like, what the hell? I don't know what that means. So, right. you know, it's something that I learned later in life. I wanted, uh, there was a term that we were, we didn't quite nail earlier, confirmation bias. I think that's when you watch a bunch of YouTube videos and everything that they say in the YouTube video agrees with what you already think. And then you go on Twitter or Facebook and everybody is kind of thumbs up in your, you know, shared post. And, and, and so I think what happens is that we get so uh, dedicated to our own opinion or the opinion that we're buying into that we don't want to be open-minded uh, to someone else's opinion, which makes it so difficult to change the mind of a voter or, or change somebody's opinion on, on a social issue. Um, but yeah, that's confirmation bias, what we were thinking of earlier. I wanted to ask you this question, Tom, again, it might be a loaded question, but uh, Christians in the media, for instance, I'm, I go to the movies a lot. I go to the movie theater a lot and there's a, a movie coming out soon about uh Jim and, and uh, Tammy Faye Baker. And um, hey, it's probably going to be a great movie. It's going to be very entertaining. It's, it's <laughs> going to have a lot of elements that are, are fun, I'm sure. But And it's going to be a good a walk down nostalgia lane of pop culture from the you know 80s and 90s. But sometimes I wonder for people that maybe aren't born into Christian families, if they see stuff like this, they get this kind of caricature of who Christians are. Or who they're not, but who who are you know using Christianity as a as a marketing tool for their own financial gain, and I think that people who are just going to church on Sunday and doing outreach groups and doing fundraisers for for the community and and raising money for other countries and there's a lot of people who go to church who are just regular salt of the earth people of, of various ethnicities who come to church and, and find fellowship and do good things. Um, and I feel that those type of Christians often get uh, marginalized or um, not fully understood or appreciated because what gets the, the hot shot, so to speak, of, of the media wheel is the cartoony uh, celebrity Christians who, to me, uh, are more celebrity than, than Christian. Uh, any thoughts on that? 
Well, look, there's an old saying, uh, just me what I do, not what I say. Uh, and uh, look, in, in any profession, you know, you know, we hear uh, all this bad publicity about police, you know, police brutality, police are out to murder you or whatever. And, and look, you know, in Minnesota, we had a case where we had a police guy that was was bad. He was a bad apple. You know, he, he killed George Floyd and he deserves to go to jail. Uh, but you can't judge all police because, you know, one guy did something stupid and did something bad. Um, the same thing is for, for Christians, right? Uh, there's going to be bad apples in every group, in every part of society, whether you're a police, whether you're, you know, in government, whether you're in church. And, and let's not lose sight of the fact that, uh, that churches are big business. There's, right. there's, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church is, you know, the Catholic Church is one of the richest, uh, quote unquote, corporations in, in the world. Right. Um, so there's a lot of money in it uh, and, and money turns people to greed and, and makes them do stupid things like, you know, the bakers. Um, you know, they had, you know, they were one of the first you know televangelist uh, people and, and they just, you know, people were stupid and sent them money, you know, all the time. Um and, and they were a bad apple, you know, um, the other guy, I forgot what his name is, Stewart, you know, he's like, oh, you know, he, he got caught in a whole, whole hotel room with a, with a, you know, prostitute and crack cocaine. So it was like, oh, I, I sinned, forgive me, <laughs> you know? So right. there's, there's a lot of bad Christians, but again, I think if you, um, if you just apply that test to say, look, um, are they doing what they're saying or are they not, you know, living by, by example? Uh, and that's, I think, um, you know, the acid test is, um, and one of the things that I apply for myself is, look, I, I don't go around telling people I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, I don't go around. So people know that I'm a Christian uh, when they ask me. And, and usually what happens if somebody doesn't know me, um, they'll observe me. They'll observe me and says, okay, what, what is different about Tom? Some, I don't know what it is, but something is different about Tom, the way he treats people, the way he motivates people, the way he interacts with people, um, the, the way he conduct, conducts himself. You know, there, there's something different about it. What the heck is different about Tom? Um, and, and then either uh, by association or by a direct discussion, they'll find out that the reason I am the way I am is because I'm a Christian guy. And I believe and I practice those habits. I, I believe and practice those habits to say, I'm a servant leader. You know, I serve. It's not about me. It's something much bigger than me. Um, so my actions, you know, speak louder than words. I, you know, I had to turn to this guy one time uh, and he said something to me. I said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And he said it a little bit louder. Uh, and I said, uh, I'm sorry, I still can't hear you. And I said, he said it one more time really loud. And I said, Sam. Your actions are so loud, I can't hear your words. People mm. just, you know, observe them, see what they do. Um, and if it matches up with what they say, kudos, good for them. Um, if it's opposite, then, you know, and, and I don't care, again, if, if you're a Christian or if you're a police officer, if you're a government official, uh, if, if you don't do what you say, um, People are not going to buy into you, and you're not genuine. You're not authentic. Um, I think that just goes generally for the human race. Um, what would you, um, once again, this hypothetical scenarios, but 
say some some young person or even an older person is listening to our interview here on the Doomer Bloomer podcast. Uh, guest Tom Caretzi, uh Mike Messier, guest host for William Summer, producer. If someone's listening to this show and, and they're not a Christian, but but they're hearing some of the things you're saying and say, hey, I, I'd like to check this out. But maybe their family or their direct friend peer group is not Christian and and they don't know what to do next. Do you have any suggestions for that uh, hypothetical listener? Look, there's, uh, you know, there's two things they can do. I mean, they're, 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 I'm sure there's a local church they can plug into. And, they, you know, most, most churches, the doors are open. You can walk in there and kind of just, uh, you know, talk to somebody and, and, and see, you know, if they have an open ear and, and see what's on your heart and, and share it with them. Uh, the other one is, you know, the best manuscripts for mankind. It's called the Bible. Uh, you know, get, get yourself a version. You know, the, the new international version or the new reader's version is probably the easiest ones to read. So definitely don't get the King James version because then that's impossible to read. But, you know, pick up a book and start reading. Right. Uh, sure. it's, it's, the, it's the best manuscript. And, and I would say, look, um, just to get started, uh, there's two books within the Bible, which I would highly recommend. One is the Proverbs and the other one is Ecclesiastics. You know, Proverbs is um, 30, um, 30 paragraphs, I would say, um, in, in or 30 chapters in, in the book of Proverbs. And it's just um, just a lot of common sense advice, uh, you know, whether it's about life, about business, about relationships, you know, just, you know, kind of blow through, you know, read one chapter a day, that's a month. Um, and, and it's just, you know, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, it's just good advice. You know, read it, listen to it, and and put it into works. And, and Ecclesiastic is, is is more about, um, I would say, what is the meaning of life? Um, so if you read that, you know, you, you get some good tips of, of maybe, you know, why you were put on this earth. What is the meaning of life? Maybe what's the meaning of life for you? Uh, so th- those are just two great, you know, uh, areas in, in, in the vital focus on just to kind of start reading and, you know, um, get yourself, you know, oriented and, you know, quote unquote, self teach yourself if you have nobody else to talk to. There's also a lot of churches that have uh, seminars or, or, you know, got uh, speeches online. So you can find that easily enough. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. And um, I've noticed in going to different churches over the years that there's, been kind of a movement uh, for more, I guess you'd say, contemporary music or or more of an upbeat feeling, less rigid, I guess I would say, in some churches. Uh, so I think sometimes when people think of a, of going to church, they think of this something from the 1950s or something like that, where it's very structured and ritualistic, and 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 uh, someone's browbeating you for 45 minutes, but. It, there's there's plenty of churches out there that are have a more contemporary upbeat, you know, acoustic guitars and so forth. And so, if people are interested, I, I think maybe getting over some of those thoughts that they might have of of what to expect, you know. Well, you're 100 percent right. Um, you know, in, in fact, if you look at uh, any geographical area, you'll find you know what we call a megachurch which is a larger congregation and maybe one, two, 3,000, 10,000. And, and what church churches do is they're very good at entertaining people. Uh, it has a high entertainment value. And, 
and Americans, uh, we love being entertained. You know, we spend, you know, billions of dollars on watching movies, uh, sports entertainment, which is another entertainment. So uh, we love being entertained and, and churches have adapted that business model. They have a Sunday service, which is very entertaining, right? That Sunday service will have a quote unquote, you know, a worship group, which may be rock and roll music. It may be R&B music. Uh, you know, there's church rap, you know, there's, so, so there's all kinds of, of, of music styles um, that would appeal to you if you walked into that church. And then usually there's an entertaining pastor who's very charismatic and, you know, they have guest speakers, you know, especially during holiday seasons, they put on small production acts, you know, like little theater skits, um, you know, to celebrate, you know, certain uh, seasons of, of the year. So churches are very entertaining. Uh, and, you know, if you're a marketing uh, person, you understand the funnel theory, right? So, you know, the funnel theory is, is you get all these, you know, leads or, you know, you call it lead generation. So you got all these leads on the top of the funnel and then you close, goes to your funnel and you start communicating a little bit more to them. And then, you know, finally you end up with a client. But it's called the you know the marketing funnel and and churches use that marketing funnel. So you when when you come in on Sunday, whether you're believer or not believer, you're like, hey man, this is great entertainment. I I, I love it. And then right. you stick around, you come back, and then you get to know a few people, and you know they get to talk to you, and you go through that funnel, you know, philosophy until you you actually then get to the point where quote unquote you become accustomed because you you actually give yourself to Jesus Christ to become baptized and, and you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. So that's kind of the, the funnel effect. So yeah, um, there's, I can guarantee you if, if you find one of these, you know, quote unquote mega churches um, and you go there on a Sunday at minimum, you'll be entertained and you'll want to come back. You know, there, there's a great church in, uh, in Florida, uh, not around you, but in Palm, you know, around Pile, uh, Palm, uh, Palm beach, it's called Christ fellowship. I think they have, um, you know, they, they have a lot of campuses now. They've grown a lot over the last 20 years. Um, so they're, you know, not only they're Palm Beach, but they're, I think, all the way down to Miami. And, you know, they go up Jupiter and, and pass north of that as well. So, um, yeah, if you're in Florida, plug into uh, Christ Fellowship. Uh, I guarantee you will be entertained. And if you stick around long enough and, and you have an open heart, uh, you may even get saved. Tom, let me talk about the services on your uh leadership disciples.com backslash services really uh, well laid out here workshops leadership development uh, you talk about the four aspects of leadership development that you concentrate on uh, discovery your values and organizational culture direction vision and strategy growth pillars of growth and obstacles people building and developing teams uh, once again, if you're interested in more, go to leadershipdisciples.com uh, backslash services. Executive coaching, uh, which is um, a, it's a 20, you get a 20 minute complimentary assessment to make sure we're a good match. That's always a good idea to kind of, before you start charging people or before you lock in to do a long term thing, just see if it's a good match. Uh, and so then you, if you go forward with that, if you sign up for it, uh, you'll meet for 90 minutes tw two times a month uh, in person via web or phone. Uh, identify and leverage your strength zone. Um, all types of good things with uh, executive coaching, mastermind groups. I've heard of that term before. I think it, 
it might have been the Napoleon Hill thing that I read about the, the mastermind study group. Um, keynote speaking, if uh, you want to bring Tom into your organization uh, or or into, uh, do you do you do speeches, uh, public speaking in any type of organization, Tom? Are there specialties for you? Well, look, I it's best to speak about what you know, right? So uh, if the, the topic that, that I preach, uh, whether it's in my C-suite book, which is the four keys to leadership sex, and, and a lot of that is what you just described on, also on the website. If, if those topics are relevant to your organization and, and they ring a bell with you, then absolutely, I would love to come in and speak in your organization. Um, you know, if you want me to come in and, and talk about something that I'm not really familiar with, you know, it may be relevant to your organization, but I'm not probably the best expert to do it, then yeah, I'm probably not your best choice, but you know, uh, if 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 you're struggling or or you think corporate culture uh, is important to you, uh, absolutely, I would love to come and, and talk to you about corporate culture. Uh, if vision and values are important to you, I would absolutely love to talk to you about that. If a, if a growth strategy is important to you, yeah, and if uh, a good functioning team is important to you, yeah, absolutely. So I can kind of talk about all those things. I can talk about one of those things and. And usually the best way to do that is, again, a, just a complimentary consultation and say, OK, what is your organization challenged with? You know, what are what are you struggling with? What what are the gaps that, that you need to fix? And and then we kind of cater my message to be relevant to your organization. So when people are sitting in the audience, they they say, OK, well, I get it. That's something that we're struggling with. I get it. That's something that makes sense to me. So we you know, I'm, I, I try to listen to. Um, the needs of a customer. And again, if I'm going to add value to you and if I'm going to be a servant leader, it's not about me. It's about you. Right. It's about your organization. So, you know, how do I serve your organization? Uh, how do I add value to your organization? And once I understand that, then I can deliver something that's meaningful and impactful for your organization. Tom, let me, uh, as we wrap up here, if, is there anything that I failed to ask you that maybe you had on the tip of your tongue that you want to say uh, to anyone that's listening. Go right ahead, uh, please. Uh, yeah, uh, I. Whenever somebody asks me that, and if we haven't touched base on it, the the, the answer I usually use is this one. Um, imagine you have three circles. It's called a Venn diagram, and then the three circles intersect uh, and they overlap. And in each one of those circles, ask yourself a question. So the first question is, who am I? The second question is, in the second circle, what am I passionate about? And the third question in the third circle is, is what am I good at? So for me, as an example, right, who am I? I mentioned to you that I'm a servant leader. Uh, what am I passionate about? I mentioned to you that I love adding value to people. I love people and I love making people better. I love making organizations better. Uh, and then what am I good at? I'm pretty good at mentoring and I'm pretty good at leading. So the beauty of those three circles and answering those three circles is I can take that to any part of my life. I can take it to work, um, a sports team, um, family. You know, I can mentor my kids or I can mentor my employees. Uh, I can serve my family. I can serve my company. I can add value to my customers and my suppliers. So that formula works for me anywhere in my life. And I don't become schizophrenic to say I wear one hat at work and one wear, you know, one hat in personal life or one hat, whatever situation I'm in. Um, so I'm consistent no matter what I am. Now, 
if you know the answers, and you may not know the answers to these questions. You know, it, it, I didn't know it right off the hand. I, I didn't even know even to ask those questions until later in life. And now I have the answers. Uh, where those three circles intersect, where you should be, that's your sweet spot. That's where you should be living your life. So uh, I know, for example, a lot of people um, doing a job that they don't like. They do it for the paycheck. They're not passionate about it. Um, they, they just show up nine to five and punch the clock. You know, I, I know people that think they're good at things, but they're actually not that good at it. Nobody kind of told them, but they, they think they're good at it. Um, but if, if you answer those three questions honestly and you live your life where those three circles intersect, uh, you will be successful. Uh, a caveat to that is if you can actually find a market to pay for that, you will be very rich. Hmm. There you go. Tom, how can people find you? Uh, we mentioned several times leadershipdisciples.com, which at the top of the web page, they, they even have your phone number, your email address, um, several social media links, but uh, leadershipdisciples.com. Is there, uh, looks like you have a YouTube page. Is there anything else you want us to know about for online presence before we wrap here, Tom? No, no, you've, you've uh, by the way, thank you so much because uh, usually podcast, uh, I have to force, you know, to say something about the book, but um, I kudos to you, man. T I tip my cap to you. You did a lot of background checks on me and, you know, you read a lot of stuff from my website and, and from the book. So thank you so much for for making that, uh, you know, raising that awareness for, for this listening group. Uh, look, the easiest thing is I, I've been blessed and cursed with a last name. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's a very unique last name, Caresti. I mean, if you Google Caresti, you'll have me and my sister. My sister's an MD up in Boston, and it's me. I mean, those are the two people you'll find. Uh, so just, you know, look for Caresti, and you'll find my LinkedIn, my Facebook, my, you know, book on Amazon. It's it's easy to find me, my website, um, if you want to reach out to me. Absolutely. And I, you know, I look forward to hearing everybody from, from everybody on this uh, the webcast. And uh, if you just... Uh, got one golden nugget or maybe two golden nuggets from, from our conversation here, then uh, it's been a blessing to me and I hope it's been a blessing to you. I've had a great time talking to you, Tom, and, and I, I share with you the whole uh, Amazon publishing because I've got my own book on there, a novel, A Distance from Avalon, When the Dying of the Dead oh. Reunite, uh, gothic horror that I wrote. So um, it's great that we have these tools I know you said that Amazon's a little controversial for some folks, Tom, but for me, it's very empowering uh, to have a, a tool like Amazon where you can publish your own book and not go through the hoops and ladders and send out a bunch of query letters to different publishing companies. So um, have you had a good run with Amazon, you think? Is that is that something you like or is that something uh, that you're still the jury's out on that for you? Well, you know, Amazon is one distribution channel. Uh, Harper Collins is the one that published my book. And, um, you know, they, I kind of got my first, it, the book is relatively recent. I launched it, uh, I think November, came out November, December, uh, 2020. So it, it's not, you know, that long it's out there. It's only about six, seven months. Um, and, uh, you know, I said, well, look for, for a first time published author, you know, how am I doing in sales? They said, well, you know, you sold more in the first quarter than most people sell in a year. So I said, that's, that's good news. Uh, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that's because of Amazon. I don't know if it's because uh, the podcast, I'm sure, I'm sure all that stuff has to do with it. I, I try to be on uh, several podcasts each week. So um, I'm sure it's a combination of many things, but I'm blessed. And yeah, 
And what kind of doctor is your sister up in Boston? I'm just curious because I just moved from New England. So what, what type of work is she in as far as medical? She's OBGYN. Yeah, it's important stuff. She actually Very delivered important. my middle daughter. My middle daughter's Nicole, and my, my sister delivered my middle, middle daughter. So that was, uh, that was a family event. Well, you, you, I don't know if you, you can mention it. You have, uh, you said you have three kids, right? Is it three or four? Three, three. Three daughters? All girls, yeah. yeah. And they're, and the, and, and what's, um, not to prolong the, the question too much, but how you're in San Diego, California. I hate to bring up the topic because it's, uh, but it's kind of a downer, but how, how has, San Diego been doing now with the the worldwide situation we're in? Are people starting to get out and about, or are people still staying home? Is it a mixture? Where does where does San Diego stand on that radar, Tom? Uh, I think it's pretty open. Uh, I think for a while, all of the United States, including San Diego, was was kind of shut down, and uh, you know people were home. They were you know kind of scared to go out, and then um, it, it started to loosen up. Uh, but right now. Uh, it's it's wide open. Restaurants are open, ball games are open. You know, people are going to see the Padres. Um, so uh, I would say there's really little to no restrictions in in San Diego as we speak. Okay, well, very good. Well, Tom Caresti, it has been a pleasure uh, to have you here on the the Doomer Bloomer podcast. I've been your uh, guest host, Mike Messier, filling in for my buddy uh, William Summer. And uh, Tom, you have a great uh, week. It's only Tuesday, so we got the whole week to fill up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun speaking with you. Thanks, Tom. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Have everybody, for watching. Back. This has been Mike Messier for the Doomer Bloomer podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, subscribe to Mike Messier YouTube channel. We'll try to get the visual uh, rendition of this up there as well. Thanks to our, de our guest, Tom Caresti, and we'll see you next time. Hi there, this is Will here with the Doomer Bloomer podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Tom Koretsky. Uh, I know I did. Um, check out www.leadershipdisciples.com and check out Tom Koretsky's new book on Amazon. Link in the description. Uh, here at the Doomer Bloomer podcast, uh, we're always talking about uh, becoming better versions of ourselves, specifically the 10 pillars and the hero's journey. Um, so our lives are never over. They're always in a state of progress. And... If you are lear learning or starting to learn more about Christian values and specifically the Beatitudes and finding your way through Jesus Christ, uh, I would also recommend checking out uh, the Daily Taoist podcast and the Twitter handle of the same name. Uh, that is... Uh, a more spiritual podcast related to the Tao Te Ching and Christianity. Um, I got a lot out of the episode this week. 
I sure hope everyone else listening did as well. I think Mike is doing a fantastic job. Uh, Subscribe to him at Mike Messier on YouTube. And if you're out there surfing the net, we can be found at www.thedoomerbloomerpodcast.com slash support. I encourage you to become a member and join our Discord group. There's great resources there and a community of people uh, becoming doomers to bloomers. Um, Have yourself a great and prosperous day wherever you are in the world. Namaste uh, from Will S. Cheers.